Thank you, Greg. Good morning. <clears throat> happy New Year to you. And for those of you joining us online, Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you for making Trinity a part of your Sunday morning or your weekly worship. We appreciate that. I was just looking in the back. We have 16 views that I saw, 16 watchers in one channel. And normally we have that many on others. Factor in you have three or four people that are actually watching per screen, then you end up having a pretty large number. So <clears throat> what we have discovered through COVID is we are seen by more people uh, now than we were before and the number of followers we have. So we appreciate you following our page. Uh, we want to share truth with you. We want to share God's word with you because nothing that we can say on our own even compares to what God has said. And we're committed here to caring for people. And one of the ways that we do that is we tell you the truth about what God's Word says about life, about sin, about judgment, about righteousness, about eternity, and about our daily life. And I did share in the early service that we're going to switch series coming up soon. I have a few more things in Daniel that I want to finish because I think they're very relevant to our time. We live in a crazy time, folks. Are you listening? Crazy. What happened to our world in 2021? What has happened since 20, 2008, 9, 10? What, what happened in this time? Uh, who would have ever imagined we would be as far as we are in talking about unbalanced as we are in a society today? So what, what's going to happen? You know? So we're going to talk about that. And what does that mean for our life? But we have a new series coming up after sometime January, February. We're going to talk about discipleship. What does that mean? You know, as parents, we all have a responsibility to teach our children to be disciples. Unfortunately, a lot don't even understand what that entails. Right here was one. No clue. Okay, no clue what that meant. Teach your children about discipleship. You know, that's a great word. We toss it around. It's in our mission statement. Making more and better disciples. What in the world does that mean? How do you do that? So we're going to be talking about some practical things in life. How do you personally become a better disciple? How do you as a parent become a better disciple? How do you, how do you as a friend, how do you as an employee or an employer, how does this relate to your finances? How does this relate to your every aspect of your life? So we're going to deal with that. I think it's going to be very helpful in a series coming up. So I uh, hope you plan on joining us. But for now... We're in a series in the book of Daniel, and I want to talk to you this morning about Daniel chapter 5, the handwriting on the wall. Now, you hear people say this phrase a lot, and they'll say, well, he saw the handwriting on the wall. Well, what does that mean? That actually means that a time of judgment has come. So the phrase comes from Daniel chapter 5, and it means that God has had enough and God is finally going to step in and he's going to do something. And there's going to be a price to pay for disobedience. You know, I was alarmed this week when I heard a survey that a majority, listen to this, a majority of children in America and especially in the European Western world have no concept of the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the 23rd Psalm. 
no concept. You say, well, what, what difference does that make if they don't know uh, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the 23rd Psalm? Well, it makes a big difference. Because can you, can you imagine what life would be like if we did not have the constant reminder, thou shalt not murder. You shall not commit a murder. You shall not steal. You shall not commit uh, false witness. You shouldn't covet. You are to honor your father and your mother. Can you, can you imagine what those life-changing things would not, uh, what our a society would be like based not upon those laws? And when you forget them, what is law? You know, why, why is there so much rebellion today against law? Have you all noticed this? Don't tell me because it's the actions of one or two. That is ridiculous. There have always been bad apples in every profession. Right here in the pulpit, there have been bad preachers who have been stealers and fornicators and so forth. There have been bad teachers in school systems who have done things that they shouldn't. There have been bad police officers, and I totally agree with that. Everywhere in society because you have fallen people. But why the utter rebellion against laws? Well, perhaps people don't understand who the lawgiver actually was. And a lot of people don't even understand how laws were formed in states, how the laws came from the federal government, how the laws formed in the states. Where did these people get this concept, our founding fathers and the founders of Virginia and other states? Where did they get the concept of law? And the answer is it comes from the Word of God. A lot of people don't understand that, but that's exactly where it comes from from the concept of God's Word. So when you throw all that restraint off, what do you do? Well, you forget. And this is the whole point of our section today. We're look, looking at a man, his name is Belshazzar, who had a grandfather back in chapter 4 who God judged. And this young king, who was a fairly young man, thought that he was in the prime of his life, he was in a secure position. He had power. He had fame. Why should he worry? You know, hey, party it up. Live life like there's no tomorrow. But I know there will be. You know, one man reminded me this week, he said, why do people live their life like they don't think they're going to die? And he said, you know why? Because they don't. They don't think they're going to die. And so just live it up. And this is exactly what Belshazzar did. Now notice what the text says. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Now let me remind you, that's a lot of people. Uh, the most we could ever fit in this building is about 200 people. Times that by how many? Yeah, that's a lot. And these were all leaders and so he gathers all the elite. Let me put it in practical terms. He gathers all of Congress. He gets the Supreme Court judges, Congress, all the leaders in the upper echelons, the senators in the House, and they all come together. And they have a big party. Belshazzar, when he had tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought. Now, by the way, the Bible does not forbid wine drinking. Okay, let me be frank here. 
It doesn't forbid alcohol. As a matter of fact, if you look in the Word of God, there are times when God permitted people to drink. Now, I'm sorry that bothers some people, but I'm not going to stand up here and lie to you. It doesn't forbid it, but it does forbid drunkenness. And right here is one of the chief reasons why the Bible forbids drunkenness. Because when people mix a little bit of alcohol with a little bit of human nature, you have a big disaster. And a lot of people, even people in my own family, cannot handle life in moderation. And this is why it's so dangerous for people to social drink. Because a lot of people don't understand social drinking. And they take it too far. In other words, when you drink wine, what does it do to you? It intoxicates you. Don't tell me you drink wine or beer just because you like the taste of it. It's the nastiest tasting stuff in the world. Now, okay, so maybe it's not for some of you, but for me, it tastes awful. And the only reason somebody would drink would be to get the effects of the alcohol. Now, what does alcohol do to you? Now, if you're young and you don't understand this, I'm going to explain it to you. It loosens you up. It makes you feel light, free. It, it changes your outlook on life sometimes, and you become giddy, and you giggle, and you laugh, and... It loosens you up so you can have fun. But let me tell you what it does to some other people. It turns them mean. And all they want to do is fight and cause problems. But the problem comes when you get that feeling of release and it feels good. And then you take it a step further and you say, well, that felt pretty good today. And, uh, you know, I didn't get drunk. It just, I just got a buzz, and I felt okay. And I think I'll do that tomorrow because that was pretty nice. But the problem is tomorrow, one glass doesn't get it done. You build up a, a tolerance for it. It takes two. And then the next few days, three and four, and before you know it, you're like people who drink a case of alcohol a day. Can you all believe that? I actually know someone who used to drink 24 beers a day he told me that's what it took to get him to the point to where he could not feel things and when you get to that point you do things that you really shouldn't do and sometimes people have marriage problems job employment problems and so that's why the bible teaches us to be cautious about the use of alcohol or substance that that cause us in our mind not to think properly well guess what old belshazzar did he got a little gassed, and back in chapter 1 of Daniel, I won't turn there, but you can, when God gave the king of Jerusalem into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, he also gave some of the vessels of the temple. And they carried them down there, and Belshazzar got to drinking, and he thought, you know, i tell you what let's do. Let's go get God's glasses, and let's just drink out of his wine glasses. We'll drink out of his cups. Bring that great big gold one in here and we'll all just fill it full and we'll just have us a drink. And that's exactly what he did. Total disregard for God, God's things, the temple article, everything. This man elevated himself to such a point to where he basically spit on God. Now folks, when, when you get to a place in life when you can just spit on God you better watch out. And I, and I say this, not necessarily to Christians this morning, okay, because uh, 
this is for us, but I'm saying we live in a world of a nation of people that are spitting on God. And if you don't believe me, when lawmakers and judges and congressmen and different people make laws that are totally opposite of what God says He will judge in His Word, and they do it anyway, and then threaten anybody that wants to talk about it, they are spitting in God's face. And if we think, as a nation or as a people, that Almighty God is going to just stay passive and never intervene in history, we have diluted and absolutely our mind is not thinking correctly. Because God will judge. And Belshazzar here gets himself full of wine, gets himself full of intoxication, and here he goes. I told myself I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to. You and I are living in a society today that is totally intoxicating itself. I've never seen anything quite like it. I didn't say this in the first service, but, you know, it was was in my mind. I should have said it. The legalization of marijuana. I'm, I'm telling you folks something. Hear me for a minute. To tell a young man who's 18 years of age he can go to the military, he can go overseas and he can fight, he can kill, he can take a life, and to tell that young man he can't smoke a cigar but yet legalize marijuana where they can do it at 18 or whatever? I'm sorry, but I have just kind of lost it there. What? And I don't advocate, you know, smoking a cigar or cigarettes or tobacco. I'm not advocating that at all. I'm simply saying, what are we doing? Legalize marijuana, a substance known to cause paranoia, and to cause all kinds of other things. I'm not talking about CBD. I'm not talking about joint oil here, or the extract of it. I'm talking about legalizing recreational marijuana. What have we done? What are we doing? Maybe is what I should say. You say, well, you're preaching now. Yes, I am. Because I wonder, you know, I have kids, and my kids are going to have grandkids, and I don't want them enjoying recreational marijuana i'm sorry no i'm not sorry i don't want them doing it because i know personally what it does to a person and their life i've seen it with my own eyes it is totally destructive and unbelievably addictive so don't do it don't do it and fight against it i think we should fight against it myself okay i've got to get on or i'm going to get off on a rampage here So they brought the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple at the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Notice this. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace, opposite of the lampstand. So, Get the picture, the room was dark, the lights were down, everybody was wind up, and there was a lamp stand over on a wall, and it was flickering on the back. And here's the king holding up a big toast, and all of a sudden he's sitting there looking, and a hand with nothing but a hand, no arm, no head, no body, a hand goes up there and writes three to four words on the wall. 
And the king is standing there and he sees it. Look at what the text says. The king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed. You know, isn't it amazing, folks, how weak human beings are? Here's this big, strong king, got all these women, all these concubines, all these people bowing at his feet. And Almighty God shows him that much of a hand that writes on a wall, and the whole man's countenance changes. His limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. You know, one of my responsibilities as a volunteer chaplain at the police department, and one of the things that I did there in years past when I was in law enforcement were death notifications. Now, I didn't mind giving them because I always like to give people hope when I went to give death notifications. You know, by the way, I'm not some pessimist that's always looking at life negative and so forth, even though I do think there are times when you have to look at life in reality. And it's, it's a crazy time we live in. But we would have times we would have to go give death notifications to people. In other words, you would catch people totally off guard. They were just living life, no idea what had happened, and you would have to go and tell them something tragic had happened in their life. Now, if you have never experienced that, you, you don't understand. This seems like a fictional cartoon. But when you go to a parent and you tell them that their son has died, whether he was over in the war or whether he died in a car crash or something tragic happened, his life was taken. If you've never watched the reaction of parents or loved ones when some tragic news like that happens and you don't understand what happened in this man's life, it's like his world took a total change. And By the way, if you've ever had news like this, totally unexpected, and you get this, this shock, we deal with this in grief share. It's just this, it's this shock that shakes you to your core and it alters your life forever. And it's hard to deal with. This is exactly what Belshazzar experienced to the point that it made his knees knock, his color faded and changed, and the man's life was altered. Now something happens and Belshazzar doesn't know what to do when he sees this hand right on the wall. So he calls to all of these enchanters and tells them to come in and whoever can tell him what this means, he will give them a golden chain and make them the third ruler in the kingdom. And that's right, the third. Because there was a father and then there was a grandson, and that's who this man is in chapter 5, who were ruling. And let me say that uh, this grandson didn't learn the lessons of his grandfather. And when we don't learn the lessons of our grandfather, it's not good. And you know, when you think about us not teaching our children the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and Psalm 23, we are basically not arming them with anything to lean on in a crisis of life. You know, the, the Lord's Prayer is something that He taught His disciples to pray to teach us how to live our life. What is that prayer? Can you cite that prayer for me this morning? I, I know you probably can. But listen to me, there's a whole generation of kids that can't recite that. Psalm 23, when death strikes in life, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He, he will protect me. And so what we are teaching our kids is how to live the Ten Commandments to honor God. We're teaching them uh, also how to conduct life, the Lord's Prayer, to teach us how to forgive people, how to live in such a way that we are dependent upon God, we acknowledge Him for His holiness. And then when tragedy comes in life, we know that God is our shepherd. See, three very practical things that we should instill in the hearts of our kids and our own hearts and meditate on them constantly over and over again to help us in times of life. So Belshazzar calls out, says he'll reward whoever comes in, give them a chain of gold and make them the third in the kingdom because there were already two others. I won't get off on that, but skeptics of the Bible used to scoff at the Bible and say, third, that is a written error. No, it wasn't. Later in the years, they went back and archaeologists found out there were two kings ruling in Babylon during this time in 539 B.C. And so this king made Daniel the third. He would make him the third most powerful. And by the way, at this time, Daniel was an old man. He was in his 80s and had retired from public office. So all the king's wise men came in, and they couldn't read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king of his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy gods is. Now, I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to say this. The political system may have forgotten Daniel, but this lady didn't. And in a time of crisis, she remembered this godly man who had now been pushed off the scene and thought to be an old man who was just going to go die in his old age somewhere. And this woman remembered this man that stood before one of the other Nebuchadnezzars, and she mentions his name. You know, this is such a clarion call to live faithfully, isn't it? You never know when God is going to use your name to be called to stand before somebody and share the truth. You don't know. And that's why we are to live faithful, and we are to live in such a way that we never retire from serving God, ever. No matter how old we get, we're always able to be used by God, and it's so important. So she says, there is a man, and in him is the spirit of the holy gods. She had bad theology, but she knew something was different about Daniel. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your, your grandfather, the king made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. A lot of life lessons here. You can be remembered, you can rise to fame, you can be forgotten. And by the way, this is how the world treats you, isn't it? You're a number. You're here today, you're a number, and then you're gone tomorrow. But some people make an impact, like Kelly that passed away this past week. Y'all remember Kelly? I remember Kelly being on the rescue squad, Kelly Walters. I heard he passed away, and there was a big, huge funeral in town for him. 
He was always one of the nicest men when I went on a call. I'd always like to see Kelly's face there. He worked in the animal side and just really appreciated him. But some people will forget you and some won't. But Daniel is now called upon. Now I'm going to skip over. Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are the Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah? I have heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Boy, what an interesting analysis of the Christian life. You can solve problems. I have to stop again, folks, because I want to share a news flash. This world may have great secular wisdom, but when it comes to the spiritual realm of life and solving spiritual problems, they are bankrupt. They do not know how to handle rebellious children. They do not know how to heal a broken marriage. They do not know any words to help a grieving person. They have absolutely no idea how to tell someone to get right with God. They are spiritually bankrupt when it comes to spiritual life. This is where the church is to step in with truth. I hear, Lord, that you can answer problems. Now, if you can read the writings and make known to me its interpretation, you'll be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. In other words, we're going to give you half the stock in Microsoft, Apple, Google, and so forth. And every, every rat in Congress would do what? Okay, what do you need me to do? Watch out. I'm, t- term limits for Congress? Do I hear that? How about we set their salary instead of getting in there and serving one term and living the rest of your life and we pay for it all the time and you, you vote your own raises? How did I get I don't know. What have we done to our, our nation and our government? What have we done? Whew. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, I'm not for sale. I'm not for sale, buster. You know, that, this is what Elijah told Ahab. You know, Ahab hated Elijah. Every king in Israel was assigned a prophet. And Elijah, he, he was hated by Ahab. Ahab said, I hate to see that man. Every time I see him, he has something bad to say about me. And Elijah says, well, look in the mirror. No wonder I'm saying bad things. Daniel answered, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing of the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, kingship and greatness, glory and majesty. He's going to preach a little bit, by the way. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. 
until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whomever he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Well, I tell you what, right there is a verse that will bring you to your knees. You know history. And yet, knowing history and knowing the faithfulness and the exactness of God, knowing all that, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house you have brought in before you, you and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which don't see or do not hear or do not know. But, but the God in whose hand is your breath, let me interpret, he knows, he sees, and he hears. And whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, Mini, Tikal, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mini, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tikal, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You all, ha- you all remember the old balances used to go in the grocery store? My grandmother was the manager of a coal company grocery store in McDowell County. When I was a kid, about that tall, that my grandparents would take me up there and I'd sit on the counter and drink a Coca-Cola because <clears throat> she'd buy me one. That's the ones you used to stick in the machine and pop the top. I'd sit there and get me a pack of peanuts and I'd just sit there and watch people. And back in those days, you used to take sawdust stuff and sprinkle it all over the floor and sweep it up. I didn't know what that was for. But she'd let me get that bag of sawdust and go throw that stuff everywhere. I I threw it everywhere. My grandmother was the most patient person in the world. First of all, she had to put up with my grandfather and then put up with grandkids. She was so patient, though. Sweet lady. I pray she's in heaven. She she says she was a believer. I, I pray she was. I don't know. You have been weighed in the balance. They had an old scale up there. And when people would go and buy seeds or whatever, they would put certain pounds on one side and they would have it set here, you know, and then you'd put the the produce on this side or whatever it was and you'd start pulling the weights off until you balance it out and that's how you'd weigh it. Of course, I'd sit over and, you know, poke that thing down. God told this king, I have put a standard up here And you have got on the scale, Buster, and you are wanting. You you can't even tip the scale down. Meany, Tickle, and then the third, Parson. Now what does that mean? Divided. Perez, or Parson, which is plural. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now, by the way, the mean, the tikal, and the paras 
were all coins. Did you know that? In Babylon, these were coins. And so most people believe that the enchanters and magicians could read because they all knew what a coin was, but they had no clue what it stood for. And so what Daniel came in and told them was, God said, you, your days have been numbered and the number's up. You've been weighed in the balances and you've been found wanting and now your kingdom is gone. The impregnable walls of Babylon are gone. Now, if you read secular history, you'll find out that the walls of Babylon were 300 feet high. Do you all know how high that is? And they were so high on the top that you could have highways and a median in between the walls. There was no way to penetrate them with a ram. The city had also built itself around the great Euphrates River. The river ran uh, right through the middle of the city. And it's boasted that they had 20 years of food to endure inside that city without ever having to make a step outside of it. Now, you're talking about secure. They felt secure. But that very night, he was told that his kingdom would be taken and divided. So Belshazzar gave the command. Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Look at the next verse. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean was killed. Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Now let me tell you how this went. They were inside having a drunken festive, and the rumors had been, there had already been some invasions in Babylon, but the rumor was they were trying to build a siege wall, you know, put dirt, siege up to the wall, and then jump over it. And the Babylonians knew nobody could ever build a siege wall there, so they didn't care. But what they didn't realize was they weren't preparing to build a siege wall. They were building a Segway, and they rerouted the Euphrates River up above this part of the city, and they channeled enough water out in those canals where they could get under that river and go under the city and come up through the riverbed and invade. And that is exactly what they did on that very night. War strategy, war strategy like you wouldn't believe. You know, people back then were no fools. Did you know that? These, these warriors back then, were, they were something else. But Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being 62 years old. Now, what do we learn from this handwriting on the wall? Uh, well, I want to give you some life lessons, okay? Here's what we learn quickly. Number one, there is coming a time that I promise you God will judge the wicked. I don't care who it is, how long they've lived, how powerful they are on earth, not one person will escape God's judgment. Wicked people, they may have done you wrong, they may be in Congress, they may be wherever they may be, I don't know where they are, but every wicked person will be judged by Almighty God. And I want you to know something else, every wicked nation will be judged by Almighty God. It scares me, folks. It scares me to see the, the direction our nation is headed. <clears throat> and I, I can't say this loud enough. By, by the way, if I start screaming and hollering at you, you're not going to listen to me anyway. And I don't blame you. I don't have to yell this. But fundamentally, something changed in, huge in the United States when we no longer understood the definition of marriage as between one man and one woman. Since, since that time, our society has been shattered. And as we have went so far in opposite directions, and we're going further and further and further 
And, and here's the problem with that. And I'm not, I'm not talking about hating people at all. Here's what I'm saying. The fundamental bedrock of society is a man and a woman joined together in marriage to produce offspring. When you take that apart, you have destroyed the bedrock of society. Now, you know, people <clears throat> do things and want to do whatever. I mean, you know, people will do that, and they, I guess that's their business and whatever. But when you, when you make that foundational and confuse people <clears throat> all the way down in the earliest days of their life, teaching children at, at <clears throat> single-digit ages, morality like that, or should I say immorality? We have problems. And a nation cannot do that and think that Almighty God won't judge it. Now, if America goes on the course that she seems to be headed and she passes laws like seem like they're going to be passed, I think one person said it well. God will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't dash us into pieces. Now, that, that may sound harsh. But I'm here to tell you that God is not somebody that we just make up and decide who He is and what He's going to act like. God is God, and God has said what is right and what is wrong. And God is the one who said He would punish. And if people are so foolish that they don't think He will, they're going to see. But may the church know who the God of the Bible is. What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5? Listen to this. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, I'm going to preach a whole series on the day of the Lord because that phrase, when it's traced throughout Scripture, when you trace the phrase, the day of the Lord, that phrase always refers to God's judgment. Uh, Dallas Seminary came up with a view. You don't care anything about this, but some of them tried to make the day of the Lord a long view in other words, it includes the millennium. And so my theology professors believe that. I don't think you can find that one time in Scripture. The day of the Lord is judgment by God when he's had enough. I mean, you've, you've pushed me so far, I've had enough. I can remember a little old kid on the school bus one time. This big old bully was behind him, and he was sitting there smacking him in the back of the head. By the way, this, these are the days that I grew up in. And our bus driver, he uh, just a hired guy off the side of the road, so he would cuss back through the window and pull off the side of the road and threaten to beat people. Put a kid off the bus one time on the side of the road and made him walk home. I'm not an old man. This was back in the 80s. The kid was sassing him. He put him off on the side of the road and made him walk home. But this old boy was sitting there smacking this little kid in the head. And that kid, he, had, he was sitting there bawling. And he had had enough. And he caught that guy turning around looking like that. And I was eyewitness. And he turned around and he slugged that boy right square in the side of the jaw. Big old boy, twice the size of that little old fella. And he went right down in that bus seat to the floor. And if people hadn't got that little old fella off of him, he would have beat him within an inch of his life. You know, everybody has a threshold. Did you know that? Everybody, even the nicest little old kid on the school bus. Let me ask you a question. Do you not think God has a threshold? You know the thing about God's anger, though? He's able to suppress it, suppress it, suppress it. And then when he unleashes wrath, he does it in a righteous, just 
way. And he doesn't let up. You are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When people are saying, peace and safety. Then, sudden destruction, sudden, boom, will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. I am here to tell you this morning, based on the word of God, Almighty God is coming in a period of time known as the day of the Lord. And he will judge and it will happen sudden and no wicked person will escape. None. Now that should terrify the wicked, but for the believer, what should that do for us? Thank God I have escaped that wrath. Thank the Lord I've escaped that wrath. God will judge the wicked. Number two, nations that seem impenetrable are one decision away from overturn. You know, you think about old Belshazzar back there, you know, pass the wine, get the cup, drink it up. He had no idea when he passed that cup around and the last leader in that took a big drink that a hand was going to come on the wall when God said, I have had it. I have had it. And by the way, if you ever search the scriptures and look at the abomination is full, the iniquity of this place is full, God uses that phrase in Scripture several times to show that He is ready to judge. When the cup is filled. You know, God told Abraham, I'm going to send Israel down into Egypt in 400 years of slavery because the abomination of the Amorites is not full. And I often think to myself, when is the abomination of America going to run over the edge of the cup? I want you to hear me for a minute. I'm not being fair to you if I don't tell you that God Almighty will judge sin. And He'll judge it in a nation. He'll judge it in a church. You know, they're saying this year, in 2021, that the devastation of COVID on the church is going to be unbelievable. And so churches had better get back to their foundation. They better get back to the basics. They better prepare people for what it means to be a believer and live like a believer and sacrifice as a believer and just basic fundamental things because the prediction is a lot of churches are going to suffer and close. Now we're talking across the United States and worldwide. Some have predicted 20% of churches will shut their doors this year. Do you all hear me? 20%. I don't know whether that's true. But I do know one thing. We better see the handwriting on the wall. The church had better be the church, hadn't we? And we'd better, better be involved in people's life, helping them change for the better and showing them that, that Christianity makes a difference in my life. It makes a difference in the way I raise my kids. It makes a difference in the way I work. It makes a difference in the way that I am a neighbor. Christian principles and Christ Himself have changed me. And you need Him too. Folks, that's about as fundamental and basic as it gets. But every one, every nation is one decision away. God likened Babylon to a golden cup in the Lord's hand, making all the earth drunken. The nations drank of her wine, and therefore the nations went mad. 
You know, Babylon in the Old Testament is paralleled in the book of Revelation. Did you all know this? If you read Revelation 14, 8, 17, and 18, you'll see that there's a personification of Babylon. Now, is that literal Babylon? Where is Babylon, by the way? It's in modern-day Iraq. You've heard about rebuilding Babylon. Y'all, do you all remember uh, Saddam Hussein? You remember what he named himself? Nebuchadnezzar. Because he was going to rebuild Babylon. Well, Revelation 8, 17 and 18 and 14 talk about this, this Babylon that becomes this system in which it fights the world. And sometimes people spiritualize that and say, listen to this, America is the spiritual Babylon. And that we, in our lewdness, have led nations astray and so forth and so on and blah, blah. I can see some of that. I can see some of that. I love our nation. Don't get me wrong. I'd fight for it tomorrow. I'd pick up my weapon. I'd go to war. I'd, I'd, I would give my life for this country. But we've gone astray. Another life lesson, time is shorter than we often realize. We don't know what tomorrow brings, do we? We, we don't have a clue. I mean... COVID here, within one week, COVID changed everything, didn't it? And I've told you all before, I'm just telling you what the, the movers and the shakers are saying, that the world will never get back to normal. There will never be a normal again. There will be some type of impact that this changes. But time is often shorter than we realize. James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town, spend a year, trade, make a profit. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. And by the way, what is your life? You're just a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Every one of us are like that, aren't we? Just a mist. Another life lesson is the accolades of this world are very short-lived. You know, I'm discovering this more and more in life. The praises of man and all the things that people think are going to bring them great success... I've watched it in life. Money. People think if they reach a certain amount of money, they're just going to have perfect peace and happiness. I have discovered that is totally false. Because they can't ever get enough. Just like John Rockefeller. Somebody asked him, how much is enough? He said, just one more dollar. There's never satisfaction. What about power? There's never a fulfillment of power. Life and the accolades of this life, fame, position, and so forth, it's all just a, just a facade, a face. I used to have a little Christian education teacher. He was about this big. His name was Leonard Allred, little old bitty man. Had a very soft voice. Everybody fall asleep in class when he would talk. He, he made a statement one time that, rock my life and this is what he said he said class so many times young people like you spend your whole life climbing the ladder of success only to get to the end of your life and realize you had it leaning against the wrong wall and then he would say don't waste your life and make sure you're climbing the ladder against the right wall. 
but the accolades of this world are short. Baruch, when he was about to be judged, had an option to try to hide and do some things for himself and water down his message. And God asked him, Are you seeking great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. That was Babylon. Another lesson is we're called to live like Daniel. Did you know that? To live our life in such a way that we might be ignored a majority of the time. But there may come a day and a time when somebody calls us and asks us for spiritual advice. And what are we to do? We're to stand up and speak. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead, what? Expose them. That's interesting, isn't it? For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. The believer is told to speak truth in love. And then we have to finally remember that whatever happens in this crazy, crazy world that we live in, does America rise? Does America fall? Well, we all know America is probably eventually going to fall. And you know, news is startling when we read headlines like just a few weeks ago. Russia and China in a joint alliance were roving right on the Canadian border. Did you know that? Now, let me ask you a question. Why, why would Russia and China be roving on the Canadian border of America? Why? The man over in Iran and the mullahs and all the rest, you know, that's, that is Babylon, by the way. Are you hearing me? Very practical here. The man over in Babylon talking about the Iranian deal that was mentioned, you know, we pulled back out of that, and now they are saying they are building nuclear bombs left and right. Do you know what the leaders in Iran believe? They have an apocalyptic view of Islam that a lot of people don't have a clue about. But the apocalyptic view of Islam believes that if somehow or another they can start war and what they call the Mahdi or the Mahdi, if he smells blood, he will come from heaven and fight their battle and win from them for them. But war has to be initiated. Did you hear what, I, what I'm saying? Listen, I am not making this up. This is what the leaders in Iran believe. And then we have this man in Turkey. What is his name? Ergodon. You know, one of our missionaries was talking about Turkey. Who is Ergodon? Ergodon is a radical Muslim who wants to start and reorganize the Ottoman Empire. What was the Ottoman Empire? It was the overtake of Islam on the world. He got defeated. You can read about that in history. But his stated goal is to reinstate the Ottoman Empire. Now, I say all that to you to say, what a time you and I live in. And I could go into more detail, you know, probably say things I shouldn't. But if, if as a pastor I don't tell you these things when they seem to be lining and viewing and things that we see, 
if we don't at least share these, what kind of a, what kind of a pastor, a shepherd would you be? You know, if, if you knew a polar vortex was going to come in mid to late January, like some weather analysts are saying, we're going to have sub-zero temperatures for weeks and weeks, and perhaps massive snows for weeks and weeks through January and February. You all do know that's what they're saying, right? And if you didn't know that, and the weatherman didn't tell you that, and you didn't go out and get enough milk and food, what would you do to that weatherman? You say the same thing I'd like to do to him right now, to give him a good one, right? Of course not. You'd be angry at him. What a time we live in. But you know what? This point right here, whatever happens, we have to remember that Almighty God is in control. And He is. Amen. And as believers, we can rest in Him because He knows what He's doing. Father, thank You this morning for Your Word, for the challenge from Daniel. Thank You for His life. Thank You, Lord, for Your intervention in history. We pray for our nation, O oh God, that You would put people in office and leadership who fear You and who humble their heart before you. And, oh God, may we as your church be humble and pray, and may we act. And may Trinity be a lighthouse to our community for those who are broken and hurting, and those who are in despair and do not know where to turn in life. May our people, oh Lord, speak truth and help people and intervene in their life, just as Daniel did. Give us the strength and the courage to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.